All right, has, where's the agenda? Has somebody got it, like, a close at hand? It's in the mail. Oh. Um, What's an agenda? That's, what, what is life? What is life? Troll. Life agenda, is a mountain. Agenda is like when, you know, you're either male or female. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I got it, I got it. I'm, I'm there, man. Oh, it is brilliant. But you're discriminating against the aliens now. And haven't you been following the X-Files are back? Oh, have you seen it? Is yeah. it any good? Yeah. The, well, I've, okay, remember, I'm too young to have actually watched the first nine se- series of it. So forgive me. But it seems pretty good. It's still uh, Mulder and Scully. Same actors. Yeah, and I must say it's uh, true to the original series. So I watched, I didn't watch a lot of X-Files, but uh, I watched at least the first season or two. And it feels like the exact same, you know, it's the same feel and the same sort of plot and yeah, but it, it, it feels like it's moved on from, you know, the old days. Yeah. It's, it's a pity they couldn't get what's his name, Vince Gilligan to, to write. He's just too busy, but yeah, it would have been cool. The same creepy intro music. Oh yes. Same intro. Okay. The stuff we nightmares are made of. Yeah. Like, the video is, it's, a, it's the same intro. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> they haven't even changed the, yeah, the, the sequence or anything. It's like it's the exact same video. Cool, I know what I'm doing after this podcast, so let's get <laughs> let's get on with it. <laughs> How does it go? That's exactly it. Exactly. You got it. You got no, it. That thing's burned deep into my brain. Alright, that's not the intro, no? I'm not signing up for Eurovision. <laughs> no, that was perfect. That was perfect. thing even at house for hack where where you've got these sort of polarizing views you know there, there's guys who use emacs and will tell everybody about it and then there's guys who use arch linux and they'll tell everybody about it and there's guys who use haskell and will like try and indoctrinate everybody and then there's everybody else <laughs> so i love that you brought that up and uh, let's just park the other wall behind us before it unleashes so <clears throat> toby why don't you like give us a quick intro into to house for hack and what it is and your role there and a little bit of his backstory Okay, cool. So, um, Halfax started in August uh, 2011. What happened was uh, Skull Kinnis, who owns the actual house, uh, ended up going to a startup weekend, met quite a few interesting people and thought, hmm, we need a space, you know, where we can do some making. So, he went and had a look online and uh, for a map of maker spaces and there were like a whole lot of dots spread throughout the world and the whole of Africa was just dark. <laughs> not a single dot, so not, no maker spaces uh, registered. So he decided now he's, he's going to start one and then he started um, I'm not sure exactly how I got it. I think it was email or, or group or something, but um, he basically invited people over and then we became sort of the founding members of House for Hack. And our whole idea was, you know, there's there's a lot of guys like us who um, are either engineers or programmers or whatever, and we've, we've got stuff that we want to tinker with in our, in our spare time and want to build stuff, but we just either never get the time or the space or the tools. And that was what the Makerspace was about, is just enabling guys to come there, have a space, have some time away from the family or whatever other distraction and have some tools and be able to follow through with their uh, sort of hobby ideas and perhaps turn it into a business. Although that's not necessary at all. It's more about 
just you know um, fostering that innovation so now it's like it's an actual house that you can go to and like what's there i mean that sounds kind of cool but give us like a kind of outsider's view you go to this house and there's stuff there like soldering irons and things that's it, yeah. So it, it's quite a big house. It's, I think, like over 400 square meters. It used to be um, a business or at least a couple of businesses that ran from there. And then, uh, so now at the moment, the whole house is sort of made available to um, to the public. So when you arrive there, you're just going to see a little gate and no signs. And you're going to wonder, like, am I in the right place or whatever? But as soon as you get in, you'll see, like, a whole lot of cars parked, everybody, like, standing outside drinking beers. And then as soon as you walk inside, you'll see 3D printers, quadcopters, um, you know, people sitting on their laptops and programming Arduinos and stuff like that. So um, and then there's a kitchen and toilets and a conference room and server room and a metal working shop in the back and so on. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of space and a lot of tools. And uh, generally, you'll find a lot of people just busy doing some stuff, like um, maybe you know working on their projects or helping somebody else with their uh, whether it's home automation or building a 3D printer or stuff like that. That's amazing. And like, do you have like regular meetings there, or is it just sort of uh, how, how, does, how do you guys how do you get in touch with the you know, with House for Hack? Okay, so most of the details are on the website. It's House uh, the number four and Hack. So it's House for Hack uh, We are open every Tuesday to the public. So uh, basically, anybody who's interested can just pitch up on a Tuesday anytime after six p.m. Uh, I'm usually there like from about 1 or 2 p.m. almost every Tuesday. Um, and yeah, you can basically come and meet the people and see what it's about and so on. But if you do decide like you want to start building stuff, you know, you can come through at other times as well. The space is available. We do run as well and courses generally run on a Saturday, which is more convenient for other people. But we found Tuesday is actually a fairly, I mean, it's it's quite a, quite an, a good day for people to rock up there because uh, a lot of people can make it. No, that's, that's really cool. So, you, I mean, it was set up by Skulk in about 2011, and it sounds like you guys have quite a lot of equipment there. Has that um, has that been donated, or is that uh, are, are you guys a non-profit or a for-profit business there? What's the what's the whole story behind that? Okay, it's completely non-profit. Um, what happens is basically we don't even take membership fees from members. Uh, when we when we founded it, we decided we did the math and we tried and f- tried to figure out various ways of um, basically paying Skulk's bills and so on. And uh, like we couldn't come up with a reasonable and we, and we didn't, really didn't want to put any barriers to this thing. So we wanted everybody to be able to come through. So we don't charge anybody any membership fees. It runs mainly on sponsorships. So um, there's a company called Enoweb, which... Um, Skulk worked for. Um, he was a director of the company, and they're basically sponsoring the space. I don't know if they're still the sponsors, but um, yeah, so, so the space is sponsored. In terms of the equipment, most of it was either bought by guys pooling money together, or one guy bought it and brought it and left it there, or we salvaged it from somewhere. Basically, that's kind of how most of that equipment ends up there. That's fantastic. I was going to ask if there was membership fees or whatnot, but I guess you probably need to show that you serious go to a few weekly meetups or do a saturday course before the doors just swing open to you to keep things orderly uh so the, we have a saying basically you know the first time you come to us you're a visitor but the second time you come you're a member um so you know you don't really have to be active uh we we, we initially said that if you want to run a project at house for hack um we'd expect at least 
two or three people to be involved in the project. In fact, three was our guideline. So in order to make it an official project, you had to have three people involved. This just, you know, to prevent people from sort of working solo and not interacting and so on. But, you know, we never enforced that rule and we've never actually had any issues with people just doing their own thing. And, and in fact, we don't even mind, you know, like a lot of guys would probably work at home anyway and bring it to House for Hack on a Tuesday and show it off. So, uh, yeah, so actually at the moment, we're very relaxed about that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> anybody just pitches up. Um, so, so like I said, you know, like the first time you're a visitor, second time you're a member, except for women. If you're a woman and you come first time, you're a member. <laughs> That's awesome. Are there a lot of women getting into the makerspace? Uh, not a lot. Uh, so one of the one of my goals was also to take away any sort of barriers that might prevent women from coming through. Um, we've never received any complaints about things like harassment or you know any any of that kind of stuff. So we we do have a lot of women that come through, but most of them come through you know once to see the place, and uh, we haven't had like um, women who started projects there. But we do have some regulars. Um, so there are there are women, especially uh, who build three. 3D printers and so on, or who want to do 3D prints that come regularly. Uh, we'd also like to see like designers and you know other other fields come through because at the moment we kind of folk, uh, most of the people that come there are engineers and software developers and so on. But we want to be like a mix of everything because we think the innovation happens when you know different fields sort of come together, and uh, so that's why we're trying to open the doors for everybody, you know, including designers, including artists, and so on. And industrial designers could probably also help take the edge off the raw materials. Definitely, yeah. That's pretty cool. And I just want to ask, you keep mentioning you guys are engineers and building these things. Somebody like me who have no idea how any of this hardware hacking stuff works, like, can I, will I be welcome as the complete noob? Uh, most definitely. I mean, we've even got... Uh, guys bringing the kids along and and we love to see that you know um 10 year olds and 12 year olds we, we had a 12 year old who came through and started by building a very simple um bristle bot which is basically just a vibration motor stuck onto the back of a uh, tooth uh, toothbrush and then it just sort of jiggles about when you put it on a table and he progressed from that and within a year i think he was building he was fixing those uh, off-the-shelf robots and modifying them and he eventually made like a robot that runs off a dstv remote control and stuff like that so uh, we basically it's open to anyone definitely not just engineers it just so happens that you know when we founded most of the people who came through were engineers but that's definitely not a requirement or in fact we encourage everybody to come through Oh man, that is so cool. So it sounds like you've got a really low barrier to entry or almost none then. Yeah, that's actually what we're aiming for. Like no no barrier to entry whatsoever. In fact, to me, the only barrier to entry might be where we're located. So if you're in the south of Joburg, it's quite a trek. And unfortunately, we're not walking distance from the Khao train. So that's maybe the only barrier that we really, that I foresee is, is you know, getting in your car and driving there. But other than that, we, we don't want any any barriers. In fact, we even... For example, if you if you're a regular, you can ask for access, and we um, put you onto a Telegram group or give you um, access to an app that we've built that basically opens the gate and door, so you can basically go there anytime you want to, and you can use the app to uh, gain entry. And I assume you okay. Tell us how that app works, because I mean that's a nice example of a project that you guys had to dog food, and I'm sure there's a bunch of mechanics and stuff involved. Yeah, it's just true hardware hacker style right there. Yeah, that was actually one of our first projects because we realized very soon that we wouldn't be able to make remotes and give remotes to everybody. So 
how do we uh, let people in and so on. And what we did was we started with a, an Arduino and we put an Ethernet shield on top of it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about what these things are, but, but uh, basically we put some relays on there and what I did was I took the remote control that normally controls the gate and the door, we've got a magnetic door, so it's controllable. And I wired it into those relays, just a little bit of soldering. Then we set up a little server on that Arduino and uh, put it through the router so that you could then from outside, even on 3G, be able to gain access. And then for access control, I ran a little, um, basically it was a, a NAS server that we hacked and put Linux on. And we put, uh, there was a guy called Philip. He he wrote a web to pi application, which then did the authentication and then communicated with the Arduino and so on. But uh, since then we've refined that a little bit and uh, our latest version basically is a Telegram bot. So you just go onto Telegram, go onto this group, um, press the button and choose door and it opens like almost instantly. And that was written in Haskell, by the way. <laughs> Is it maintainable? Uh, not by me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had you. That was a low punch. But no, that is pretty. That's okay, a pretty so, cool, so, useful so, bot. So I did pick on it a lot because um, while it was quick to to develop, um, it took the the developer about two about a month or so before he managed to cross compile it for the Raspberry Pi because it was written in Haskell. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> And I, and, and I kept jabbing about how I could have done it in, in, a, in an hour or two in Python. <laughs> and um, I think before we like launch into more of the hardware and stuff, I think just as an inspiration, like I want to know more of the other stuff you guys have built. Uh, specifically, I've seen the PyScope and I think we chatted to a bit about it, it which looks uh, fantastic. And the, the weather balloon you guys did, that was last year sometime, yeah, which uh... completely blew my mind. Uh, that was actually, I think, 2014. So it wasn't a weather balloon. It was a uh, okay. So it was it was actually a high altitude glider, um, which basically is one of these Styrofoam RC gliders that you get. So it's unpowered, but uh, it's got a bunch of GoPros attached to it, so that you can sort of uh, put on goggles and you can see what it's seeing, and then be able to glide it from uh, quite a high altitude. And then, uh, so I wasn't actually involved in this project, but there was a whole bunch of guys involved from Hearts for Hack, and it was quite a big team effort. But essentially, we uh, we managed to acquire some weather balloons and fill them up with um, hydrogen or helium, I can't remember. Got permission from the CAA to um, launch this, these balloons with the glider attached and then um, release it. Now, we, the aim was to get it really high, like 40 kilometers up. But we didn't get permissions for, uh, permission for that. We could only go up to about 6Ks or so. So um, it, it was really nice because they had like telemetry and everything attached to this thing. So they were sitting in a, in a bucky and chasing it. And as it, as it um, went up to 6Ks, they then hit the release. And then it released from the balloons. The balloons themselves had uh, a GoPro attached so that we could get footage from much higher up because they were uh, the balloons were allowed to go much higher. Uh, and then the the glider had a drag chute, so the drag chute opened out, and then uh, as soon as it reached terminal velocity, the drag chute was released, and then uh, you know the the glider basically then started gliding down. And once it leveled off, then they managed to. Uh, there was a guy called Nico. He he managed to fly it, and the whole thing was uh, taped from multiple cameras from the ground, from the from the balloons, from the, the glider itself, and so on. And there's an awesome um, video on YouTube where you can watch the whole thing. Or if you come to Alpha Hack, we've got a nice big screen where we loop all these videos. Um, and 
basically <laughs> they managed to um, catch up to the glider, release it, and glide it back down, and it landed right by their feet, like right there next to them. Um, and then the balloons carried on to about 38 k's or so into the atmosphere, and then they started popping, and then they had to chase after the the, the GoPros to go and pick uh, pick them up, and ended up driving something like a thousand k's during the day just to go and uh, retrieve it and get back home. Where did the GoPro cameras end up from the balloons? Uh, somewhere in the Free State. Uh, it was launched at Clark Stop somewhere. Uh, there's an airstrip and <laughs> ended up in the Free State somewhere. Um, but the glider itself, uh, I mean, they managed to get uh, some amazing footage because it was all high, uh, you know, full HD video and so on. And Philip did an amazing job of slicing all these various videos together and syncing them up and everything. So it's it's, it's an amazing video to watch. Um, if you, if you want to check it out, you can search for House for Hack High Altitude Glider, and I'm sure you'll find it on YouTube or on the House for Hack website. I'm sure we'll get that into the show notes as well. Awesome. Yeah, I'll uh, post the link to the RSC or Mumble. Awesome, awesome. And the the Piescope? That looks like something fun, and I think you're involved in it, right? Yeah, so the Piescope was one of my ideas. Um, what happened was we... Um, so, so the guys love to go uh, to build quadcopters and fly them and build uh, RC planes and fly them and so on. So uh, they tend to go out of, of the city to fly them. So I went on them to, to Drakensberg uh, early last year and we went and camped and, you know, go fly during the day and so on. And at night, like the stars were just amazing. And I had my telescope with me as well. And we, we were looking at the stars and I thought, you know, um, what would be great is if we had like an LCD screen where we could, where everybody could see what I was seeing through the scope. Because as soon as I moved away, someone else would try and look and they would bump it slightly and it would go out of focus and it would lose its tracking and all sorts of things. So I realized, you know what, you know, star parties are quite difficult to to run. So something like uh, a Raspberry Pi with a camera attached to the eyepiece and have it automatically tracking and uh, displaying the uh, what you typically see through the eyepiece on an, on an LCD might be something cool. And so the idea started brewing from there. And then the guys from Scopex also heard about us and came to us and said, like, wouldn't you guys like to do something there about uh, Raspberry Pis and so on? And I thought, okay. This, this is like our <laughs> this is like the green flag to say go so okay we decided let's let's do this let's build it so i had this telescope that already had a mount and everything but we wanted to keep it simple and we wanted to keep it sort of uh, instead of an equatorial mount and have a go to tracking system stuff that which is a lot more sophisticated we thought we'll just make our own mount we'll just 3d print all of the parts that we need that to, to make everything fit nicely. We'll put it onto a wooden base that can swivel, and then we'll attach all of these motors because we, you know, there's a lot of guys building 3D printers, and so we've got lots of uh, these kind of parts, like belt drives and um, wheels and pulleys and all sorts of things to, to make things move in very precise manner and so on. So we basically, uh, over, over over a matter of a couple of days, basically, we uh, Skalk was involved in um, modeling and 3D printing and making the mounts and everything. And there was a whole bunch of guys from Housefact that chipped in and helped, helped us make the mounts. And then um, Skulk even managed to make a sort of adapter that will get the Raspberry Pi camera fitting snugly onto the eyepiece, which is a lot trickier than it sounds. And uh, yeah, so we've got it working in time for Scopex. And the whole idea behind it is not so much for the sort of long exposure astrophotography that you'd normally do with a DSLR or something like that, because that generally requires very expensive equipment and it was expensive enough to put me off it. Uh, but the idea here was let's use very cheap hardware and use software to make up for the um, 
deficiencies of the hardware. So things like, for example, the, the thing I'm working on right now with PyScope is instead of doing a long exposure, let's take lots of multiple snaps and uh, get OpenCV, uh, which is like a computer vision library, to sort of figure out how far the images have drifted apart and sort of bring them back together in alignment, stack them up so that you get the effect of sort of a long exposure, but without all of the drawbacks, for example, we won't have to do accurate tracking. Um, so if we can just get it multiple snaps or even a video and pull out good frames and st uh, stack them, we should get a nice image. Uh, the whole thing is that th this is something that, that is, um, astrophotographers do, but they generally do it manually. They, they grab all of the images and they'll sit on their Windows or Mac PC and they'll manually stitch these things together with stacking software and so on. We want to do it automatically and in real time using Python and OpenCV on a Raspberry Pi. That's wickedly cool. And do you have any uh, interesting images that yet? Uh, so not yet. I actually, believe it or not, I booked a camping trip in Machalisburg specifically for the purpose of taking my telescope and getting good sky and being able to test my software. But it basically was cloudy the whole weekend. So I'm wait <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, I've been waiting since Memphis then. Laura. Yeah, so I've been waiting. So I think wintertime I'll get a... a um, I'll get much better chance to test this out and get some footage. Uh, so it's a work in progress, but uh, we've got some other wicked cool ideas coming through. Like for example, we're gonna change the uh, mounting system and the gearing system to get much more accurate tracking. And once we've got that, we should be able to do even more with it. And then what's one of these things cost, just roughly speaking? Um, so the, the, the thing that we put together, I mean, the, we just scrounged a few parts from from around House for Hack, you know, like the, the, the 3D printed wheels and so on. but. We put together a cost breakdown and it worked out to about six and a half thousand Rand for all of it, which is less than a DSLR camera. And this is this is the camera, the, Pi, the Raspberry Pi, the stepper motor drivers, all of it. Wow, that's pretty good. And the software, of course, is free, yeah, right? The software is on GitHub. Um, we've open sourced it. Um, in, in fact, even the 3D printer parts, we've got the, the actual SDL models uh, up on GitHub as well. So if somebody else, I'd love for somebody else to replicate this because, uh, you know, we can probably make progress a lot quicker. Wow, that's super cool. So audience, we need we need somebody to volunteer for this. Yeah, so um, I, I can run through quickly through some of the other projects we've done and then you guys can stop me and ask me about any anyone that sounds interesting. Is that all right? Sure, go for it. All right, so it's, uh, one of the other projects we did last year was the Housefax smartwatch. Um, so I've got a Sony smartwatch and then um, I saw all of the Android Wear watches coming out and so on. But I, I kind of liked the idea behind the Sony smartwatch, which was basically the smartwatch was fairly dumb. It was just a Bluetooth link to the, to the phone. And then the phone would sort of generate all of the apps and the graphics and stuff that appears on the watch. So I thought, geez, now we should be able to replicate that. And then we saw an instructable called the retro watch, which was basically taking an off-the-shelf component, slapping them together and making a watch out of it. And I thought, hmm, that sounds cool. And then I posted it on the Housefire group. And uh, a lot of guys were interested. They're like, I also want one of these. And so we ended up, uh, one of the guys, Peter van der Waal, actually designed a whole PCB around it. And we ended up making these watches. And uh, they cost only about 350 Rand in parts. And um, I then rewrote sort of the firmware that ran on the watch. And I wrote an Android app that allows us to like open this, the, the housefire gate and door with the buttons on the watch and stuff like that. So it was quite cool. We uh, never completed the project though, because uh, the idea was then to sort of 3D print cases and make leather straps and stuff. But uh, after I got the firmware working and everything, I sort of just moved on to the next project. Um, so that was the one. Uh, we did 
Aquaponics, uh, which is one of my favorite projects. Uh, so we built a small desktop uh, system. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Aquaponics. Uh, automatic plant maintenance. Basically, um, it's like hydroponics where you grow plants in gravel with some nutritional water. But in aquaponics, you don't give you don't have to provide nutritional water. That comes from fishes that grow in a tank underneath the plants. So it's essentially a fish tank underneath with a pump that circulates the water to the plants that grow on top on a grow bed with gravel in it. And that's about it. And then the water just keeps circulating and plants magically grow like crazy and the fish are nice and happy because the water is nice and clean and all you have to do is feed the fish, uh, give it some sunlight, get a little bit of electricity for the pump and that's it. The system just keeps running. So it has a whole lot of advantages, things like uh, you don't need to uh, remove weeds and stuff because it uh, generally doesn't pick up weeds because it's above the ground. It doesn't pick up um, pests uh, and insects because, again, it's above the ground. makes it easy to sort of uh, harvest and so on. So it's, it seemed like a sort of magical thing to me, you know, like a magical solution for world hunger. So I, I couldn't resist. So I went and built, I, I started with the, the, the small desktop system and that worked quite well. And then I moved on to a much bigger system that we built um, about a, a one meter by one meter by about two meter high system. And I've been running it now for three years. And yeah, we've got lots of lettuce, spinach, uh, watercress, uh, strawberries, the sweetest strawberries you'll ever taste. Like there's no pesticides, no chemicals in this whatsoever. It's quite an amazing system. But it does have some downsides, which I learned over time as well. And then what are they? Um, so like, for example, you can't grow trees or you can't grow things that grow underground, things like potatoes and stuff, because the gravel is a bit too difficult for it. Uh, every two or three years, the whole system gets clogged up with roots. So then you've got to like pull all the all the stuff out and, you know, like clean up the rocks and stuff, which is the process I'm going through now. Um, and yeah, there's a couple of other small downsides. We, we went to a, a commercial aquaponic system in uh, that, that they're running in Lanseria. Uh, close to the Lanseria Airport, uh, so there's um, there's a hotel, and right next to it is this whole big commercial aquaponics farm uh, that supplies uh, the hotel with uh, you know some of the vegetables and and fish actually for 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 some of their dishes, and uh, it was like quite a nice learning experience. An awesome place to actually go and visit as well. That was one of our like uh, events last year, and um, yeah, it was actually quite quite interesting to see. Uh, but whether it's it's viable and you know what does it make a lot of money and stuff that's questionable um, but the system definitely works yeah it's good for like sort of home use kind of thing yeah home use or for you know like even um being able to feed yourself even in an urban environment where you don't have you know like soil to like if you've just got a balcony you can actually be growing plants there um yeah so there's there's a lot of lot of uh, potential for this i know australia is one of the where, where this is taking off quite quite a lot. There's a lot of people doing it in their in their homes, and also there's quite a few commercial systems as well. So it's something that's definitely worth looking out for. Uh, I'm I'm pretty convinced with the the system. Cool. And the plans for that and that sort of stuff. Where could people find uh, that? There's a lot of resources online, um, especially from Australian forums and so on. There's free eBooks. Uh, if you just search for uh, DIY aquaponics, you will find more than enough information to get going. But um, the guy behind the system that we built is Dennis Krill. He's from Housefire as well. He's, um, yeah, so, so he designed the whole system, but it's based off things that you'd see online as well. Okay, that's cool. So, so now a lot of these projects you mentioned sound kind of scary, I think, going along with what Kenneth was saying earlier, to, to an outsider. Very. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> do do you have an engineering degree? I mean, what's your sort of academic background for all of okay, this? Okay, so I, totally? I do have an engineering degree. I studied electronic engineering, um, although most of my experience has been in software. Um, but you definitely don't need an engineering degree to to get started with any of this. Um, for example, that aquaponic system we built in uh, in a matter of about two or three hours. We basically bought these things called uh, IBCs, intermediate bulk containers. You see them everywhere, like where large amounts of liquids being transported by f uh, forklift trucks and so on. Um, so they they're used in the industry, and you can get these. They they kind of discard these containers, and we just bought them and uh, cut them open flipped them over and the bottom became the tank the top became the the grow bed and it, this is a fairly common way of building an aquaponic system so we managed to build that uh, yeah so you don't need an engineering degree to build that but there's a lot of learning involved in terms of like what to look out for what, what the the nitrogen cycle is what bacteria grow and how to make sure that everything is balanced and so on but that's something that you learn along the way you don't need to know that stuff so part of the building uh, so the part of the course uh, when we built this was to teach you the basics of, you know, what type of fish you can grow and uh, what the bacteria are and how to make sure that everything is balanced and what to test for, things like pH and, and nitrogen, the ammonia and so on. Um, but again, you'll learn all of that within an hour and then the rest is just hands-on, you know, experience as you build a system and hopefully not kill fish. <laughs> can you have sensors for all the H and the ammonia that you can <clears throat> drop into the water? Y you soil. can. They're, they're pretty expensive, but we, we just test it like maybe once a week or once in two weeks. It's really not critical. It's kind of like a pool where you have a test kit and you test the, the chemicals. If it's not in balance, then you put something in to balance it out and so on. But in aquaponics, we generally don't use any chemicals whatsoever. So we will only use nutrients and we'll balance it out by changing the amount of fish or the amount of water or the amount, the flow rate or the amount of plants that we've got, that kind of thing. But even getting into electronics, I mean, I, I started dabbling with Arduino a couple of years ago just to just to see what it's all about. The open source resources that are, are available around that to get you started and pointed in the right direction are immensely. There's a lot of stuff available and it's really good quality. I mean, I've actually just dug it out here. I've got that Arduino projects book that comes with that Arduino starter yeah, kit. Yeah. So. If you haven't done electronics, I mean, the last time I did anything that could be vaguely compared to electronic was in in high school, um, and it it really isn't scary to get involved in this stuff. Not at, not at all. In fact, okay, so uh, let me just talk about the most popular. Um, sort of devices that you'd be working with. So you've got the Raspberry Pi, which is essentially just a, a computer on a board. So that's not scary at all, because all you'd do is you'd burn an SD card, you'd stick it in there, you'd boot it up, and voila, you've got Linux or something, and then you can start playing from there. Um, Arduino is um, a, a microcontroller, so it's also a board, um, but you don't have an SD slot that, you, that you'd burn an SD and boot up. You'd basically plug it into a USB port on your computer, and then you'd have a little IDE, and from the IDE, you'd basically uh, run a, write a little program. They call it a sketch, and you'd hit the run button. It would compile it, dump it into Arduino, and Arduino would start running it. So it's actually really plug and play. I mean, I was really shocked when I first used an Arduino, I felt like my engineering degree was such a waste of time because this was so simple. Um, and then you get uh, some other devices that are very popular these days. Uh, there's this thing called the ESP8266. It's actually worth remembering that name because that comes up over and over again. The, this is essentially was built as a little Wi-Fi chip uh, that you can uh, attach to 
like your microcontroller and it would be able to make you talk to the internet and you can do all sorts of things. But it turns out that the ESP8266 itself has a microprocessor on itself, on the board and this thing is tiny and it's cheap. It's like 60 Rand or less maybe and you can program it. And so people started writing like a Lua scripting environment for it and an Arduino compatible environment for it. And you even get this 8266 in a sort of Arduino form factor now, which means that it's ideal for things like Internet of Things. Like you want to home, do home automation where you've got like a temperature sensor on your geezer and you wanted to relay that onto some internet service where you can get alerts and so on. You can do that kind of stuff fairly easily without even soldering. You know, you might have to solder if you're going to hook it up into your geezer, but it might even be uh, simple connectors or something like that. And then Intel sort of gotten into the game with the Intel Edison and the Galileo, which um, are x86 based, but the idea is the same. If, if you're a beginner, I would say just start with the Raspberry Pi and the Arduino. Those are the two, my two favorites, and I, I, those are the two I'd recommend to everybody else. So you'll see, for example, if you look for an Arduino, there's like so many different vari variations. There's like Arduino Nano, Pico, and Gal uh, there's a, a Leonardo and so on. Um, I would say just buy an Arduino Uno. The Uno is like the first one, and <laughs> being Uno, and uh, it's like the, one, the, the sort of de facto starter one, and it's generally enough for most projects. The other ones are basically like more specialized versions. So if you want to use it in a robot and the robot needs to be small, you'd pick a Nano and so on. But if you started with the Uno, you'd be perfectly fine. Um, and then this is where Half Hack can help a lot. So let's say you bought an Arduino with a starter kit and you're unsure you know, which way to connect it and you're worried about you might blow stuff up. If you brought that to House for Hack, uh, I, me or one of the guys there would be able to get you up and running like in five minutes. So we'll plug it in and we'll show you and you get going and then, yeah, there'd, hopefully there'd be no spinning you after that. Um, and and that's really where the benefit of, of coming to Alpha Hack is. But really the stuff is quite simple. The I guess the only problem is that when you search online, you might find too many resources, like you might be inundated with too much info. So that's where we can sort of help you filter that. But yeah, Arduino Uno, a Raspberry Pi 2, don't even bother with different models of Raspberry Pi, just get the Pi 2. I think you'd be happy with that and you can figure everything out else from there. Uh, and if you get an Arduino with a, with a starter kit, you can start with, um, so yeah, I want you to talk about some of the starter projects. Like uh, if, you, if you got an Arduino, um, I would say the first thing you do is like hook up an LED to one of the pins and run the blink sketch. So these, there are lots of example code that comes with Arduino IDE. So you basically go to arduino.cc, you download the IDE, you run it, and it looks like a normal IDE. And when you go file new, you'll see there's there's uh, examples. And under examples, there's a whole bunch. Like for example, there's basics, and then there's digital, and then there's LCDs and so on. So you can work in steps. So I'd say start with those examples. And the, the two easiest ones are blink, which just blinks an LED. And in fact, you can even blink the onboard LED so you don't even have to attach anything to it to begin with. And then the, next, uh, the second one would be, say, analog read serial, where you'd attach a sort of uh, what's called a potentiometer. It's like a knob uh, that you'd attach to one of the analog sensors. And as you twiddle the knob, you'll see different values coming out of the serial port. Once you've got those basics down, the rest becomes like quite easy. And it's just a matter of, so instead of, let's say you don't have any electronics background, um, you could start all of this stuff without knowing anything about electronics. Maybe a little bit of coding might help, but you can also pick that up as you go along. Um, but then 
yeah, maybe start learning about Ohm's law and some of the components and sensors, things like resistors, capacitors, LEDs, what are they, uh, relays, motors. Um, so then you start getting temperature sensors and, um, you know, ultrasonic sensors for distance and so on. So if you're getting into maybe robotics or you want to do beer brewing and you want to manage the temperature of your brew, then you'd use a temperature sensor and a relay to switch like a fridge on and off and stuff like that. Hmm, that's super cool. One question I've got on the Arduino, does it does it have an operating system? You say you've got this IDE and you just kind of get the code. Like, you just tell us that story a little bit. How does the code go from the IDE to get onto the actual device? That's an awesome question because there's a lot involved there. And um, I actually really like that question. Um, there is no... There's, there is no operating system on an Arduino. And this is the beauty of it is because it's so simple. Your your code runs on bare metal. There's no kernel. But but on the on the Raspberry Pi there's an OS, right? Yes. I mean a basic like bootloader and all that kind of stuff. Because that's what I've played with. So the Arduino's got nothing. It's just direct it to the metal. So when you play with an Arduino, it has a bootloader that um, allows it to talk through the serial port to the Arduino IDE and then the IDE says here's a binary file that you need to write to your ROM and then execute. So th there is a bootloader that manages that. It's a very tiny bootloader, but you do you can get like an Atmel chip without the bootloader and you'd be writing directly to the bare metal, but in, uh, that, that gets a bit more advanced and you'd need some equipment for that. So, so the Arduino makes that part really simple because it's got a little bootloader on the chip, but the bootloader basically just loads your code and then runs it. Once the code's running, you've got full control over this device. And like you're, you're basically bare metal. Awesome. So it's like it's back in the good old days of DOS, you had like total control. Well, it's even better than DOS because even in DOS, when you wrote a program, you were making calls to to the BIOS. So you tell the BIOS, you know. Yeah, in, interrupt 13 kind yeah, of stuff. Interrupt yeah, 13 stuff. Where here, you would be directly toggling pins and so on. Um, so if you want to blink an LED, you would uh, you would make a system call, but you'd make a, a C++ call. So you'd say uh, digital write pin 10. So let's say you've got a LED connected to pin 10. You'd say digital write pin 10 high, which would turn it up to 5 volts. And then you'd say delay one, uh, 1,000 milliseconds. So that would wait for one second. And then you'd say digital write pin 10 low. And that would then turn it back down to 0 volts, which would turn your LED off. And, that, and then you just loop that, which would then make the LED go on and off. But the nice thing about that loop is that that's the only thing running on this whole device there's nothing else there's no preemptive stuff there's nothing in the background it's just your code running nothing else yeah no i really like that now what now what speed is the cpu on the arduino kind of generally running uh, at? i believe it runs the the two the couple of models but they generally run at 8 megahertz or 16 megahertz now that sounds pretty slow but because there's nothing else running on it and you have you can have like sort of nanosecond control over how how fast these pins toggle and so on, and and because nothing will preempt you. As a, this is the main advantage of a microcontroller. You have um, you have real time control, uh, so you can time things exactly right. So so it's very nice for for making things, for example, like a DSLR camera trigger, where you have a little sensor and you have a tap that drops water onto a cup. Uh, full of full filled with water, and you want to take a picture as it splashes. So you have a little sensor that um, senses as the drop is falling, and then it then sends the signal to your DSLR camera to trigger. And so you can have such accurate timing that you can make very great, you know, like um, stalls of things that happen very quickly, or you can do time lapse photography, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think I once built a kind of speed trap using coax cable, just connecting it to the. Um analog ports on that kind of device 
that was kind mm. of fun. But yeah, it's, it's great because it's real time. Like you can, you can pick up exactly when things are happening and respond without any fear of being preempted, exactly, as you say. Yeah. And then are you able to write back up the USB? Because it's got a USB port on that. Are you able to then communicate back up that USB to another or to a host computer? Or yeah, something so like Arduino that? makes this part easy. So, so this is where, this is why it's called Arduino. So what they've done is they've made a nice development board with a nice development environment. So one of the things that you can do, for example, is you can open a serial port. So there's a, there's a hardware serial port on on the uh, chip itself and they've wired it through to the USB. So you can then do a serial.print and uh, say hello world, for example. And what would happen is it would print out through the USB port back to your computer. And then on your computer, you just open a terminal, a serial monitor, basically, uh, listening on a particular serial port. So this this device, for example, on Windows, it might be COM11, or on Linux, it might be slash dev slash TTY ACM naught or something like that. Um, and so it makes this virtual um, serial port on your machine, and then you just open a, a terminal on it, and you'd be able to read and write to it. So you could interact with the Arduino from your PC just by entering commands into this terminal or reading output from it. But the beauty of it is that you can, once you've programmed it, you, you could you could attach screens to it and then unplug it and have it run standalone without interaction with the computer. Cool. As well. And then the next big story with these things, of course, is radios, right? Like you want. Uh, like Wi-Fi radios or Bluetooth radios or what? What were those ones called? I heard a while back. What Zigbee or something XB, like that? XB, yeah. So, so that's when it gets fun. Is like you want to now maybe do home automation, which is like a sort of typical thing that I think it's a great project. Now. I, I want to do that. Yeah, 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 a lot of people want it, and like everybody's got different uh, devices at home and different alarm systems and so on. So, like everybody generally ends up having to build their own anyway. So it's it's one of the coolest projects. So, a, a couple of ways of tackling it, for example. At my house, I've got the X10-based system, so it runs over power lines. So I've got a couple of modules that talk via serial port, so I can. But I, I typically don't use an Arduino for that. I use an, a Raspberry Pi. So as soon as I need to start doing web requests or I want to talk, like Bluetooth, Arduino is still great for. And um, the the XP protocol is quite nice because it creates mesh networks, which Wi-Fi and Bluetooth aren't that great at. So so there's a club, there are a couple of options. And what makes it easy and the part that you don't have to worry about in terms of engineering degrees and stuff is you'd basically go to a store and you'd say, okay, I need a Wi-Fi shield, and and that's the term for expansion boards for Arduino. So you'd say I need a Wi-Fi shield for an Arduino, and you'd buy that and you'd slap it onto the top of the Arduino, and these things just sort of stack up, so you can put a Wi-Fi shield, and on top of that, put a relay shield to, to control motors, and on top of that, you can put something else, like a sense temperature sensor shield or something like that. So you can just sort of stack these shields up, and then you get these uh, C libraries that you include into your code, and then you can just say, like, uh, tell the Wi-Fi to connect to a specific uh, address and so on. Some of them are a little bit harder to use than others. Like Wi-Fi, typically, you have to give it ser commands over a serial port, like 80 commands, and then once it's connected, you can then start doing uh, communications. But uh, I tend to start preferring a Raspberry Pi when you start doing th that kind of stuff. Um, so maybe I can talk about some of the the Raspberry Pi based projects. Maybe. Yeah, please do. Okay. Please do. So so Raspberry Pi. Um, basically, you can use it as just a desktop. So for example, my recommendation would be if you go out and buy a Raspberry Pi, then you'd get a uh, micro SD card. Uh, download Ubuntu Mate for the Raspberry Pi 2 and flash it onto the SD card and stick it in there and boot it up and 
plug it into your normal desktop uh, monitor, keyboard, and mouse, and just be amazed. Like this thing's gonna boot up, and you're gonna be like, "Holy crap! This is a whole PC." And and hopefully that'll give you the sort of mind shift between what the Raspberry Pi is and what the Arduino is. So so now that you've got a whole Linux PC, you can do whatever you want. You can write Python code, you can write Ruby code, you can write whatever code you want to. Uh, but once you've gotten past that, uh, you wanna so so why would like you probably don't want to use it as a PC. You want to use it as sort of um, I like to think of it as application-specific usages. You want to turn it into some sort of device. Now, the, the next easiest thing to do would be download OpenELECT. OpenELECT is a media center for uh, PC. It's, it's, it runs what's called Kodi now. It used to be called XPMC. It's a great um, home theater sort of uh, software for, for running on TVs and so on. So get a Raspberry Pi. Uh, flash open elect on it, stick it in there, uh, stick it onto your, uh, through HDMI to your TV. And, and if your TV's got a USB out, you can just plug the USB to power this Raspberry Pi and the whole thing can stick onto the back of your TV. And suddenly you've got a smart TV that's smarter than most of the smart TVs you get out there. I mean, the, the kind of stuff that you can do once you've done that, that's when it starts blowing your mind. You can now download an app for your Android phone. You can uh, find a YouTube video and say, send to send to the Kodi TV and then suddenly starts playing on your TV. Your TV can connect over Wi-Fi to your to your NAS server and start playing your series off it. It can scrape uh, IMDB or whatever other service to get covers and everything. And it's just amazing. Like it, it goes on and on. Like you can do, it's really the coolest media center that, that I've played with. So that's, that's easy. I mean, there's no soldering involved. That was really simple. But then you can start taking it a bit further. Like you can turn it into a, an arcade game. A lot of guys like to like a bit of woodwork. So they'll like build a whole arcade cabinet and stuff, but you don't even have to go that far. With the same setup that you did with OpenELEC, you take out the SD card, you flash, um, get another SD card, flash RetroPie on there, stick it in there, and suddenly you can play all of those old school games, which are, which are very cool, like Mortal Kombat 3 and Prince of Persia. And you can go pretty far back or you can even play PlayStation 2 games on there and stuff. Stick a stick a PlayStation controller in there or an Xbox controller and you can actually use it as a console. That's pretty pretty awesome. Um, and, then, and, and then you can start wow. playing with some hardware. So the, the simplest hardware hack I can think of for Raspberry Pi, and this, is, this might blow your minds a bit, but you can stick a piece of wire onto one of the pins, okay? And that's your hardware done. How you stick that piece of wire, it might be a jumper cable that you just slot in. It's as simple as that. You don't even have to do any soldering. But you can write a program that can toggle one of those pins on the, on the Raspberry Pi. So the Raspberry Pi has got a whole bunch of pins on there. And those pins are meant to be used for interfacing to the physical world. This is something you can't do with your PC or with your iPad. You can connect those pins to motors, to LEDs. You can switch things on and off with it and so on. But by connecting that wire, you can then tell, write a program that will toggle that pin up and down, up and down so fast, like it goes at at megahertz rate that it starts broadcasting fm so now no way that's <laughs> super cool yeah man. so now you can download this <laughs> program called pi fm so let's say you've got uh, raspbian which is the standard distribution for raspberry pi and i recommend running that because it's nice and optimized and fast and everything but it's it's debian linux so you can app get install whatever you want to and it's a very familiar environment but you can install pi fm and it's a c-based program i believe and uh, it will broadcast not just broadcast in fm but it will it can broadcast an FM stereo, and it can add RDS information, and you can pick it up with a normal FM radio. So you can build yourself an F uh, MP3 player transmitter if you want to, or make yourself a little pirate radio and stick a whole bunch of these around your campus or something like that. That's so wicked cool. Oh, my word. Yeah, and then, of course, so that that's about the simplest hardware hack you can do, but you can then just go from there. And uh, what I would recommend is there's this awesome magazine for Raspberry Pi called Magpie. 
uh, if you go to raspberrypi.org forward slash magpi, M-A-G-P-I, then uh, there are a couple of special issues. Uh, it's, it's a great magazine to read just to understand like sort of what people are doing with pies. I mean, they're sending them to space. There's two of them running on the International Space Station right now and so on. Uh, but you, they, they've made a, a special ebook version for Raspberry Pi projects. I'd, I'd highly recommend download it to your tablet and just sort of read it on a weekend or something and just look at the amazing projects that people have built with this thing, like art installations or arcade games or all sorts of very, very cool stuff. Things that just absolutely blow my mind. It's, it's all worth just looking at it to get sort of an idea, to get a scope and to to maybe spark ideas in, in your head about what maybe you could build for yourself as well. Another thing that I thought was super interesting with Raspberry Pi is because it's kind of like a mini computer. I mean, it's running Ubuntu, right? Is getting into operating system hacking. I, I wrote like a little bootloader and started a basic kernel and it was pretty quick to get going on the Pi. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So I've, I've been quite interested in, for example, using a, a Raspberry Pi for, um, you know, sort of a single purpose application, like be it a digital photo frame or in my case, like maybe a gym timer or something like that. Now, it's, it seems kind of pointless to boot into a whole operating system like Ubuntu and start a little Python script to which, which yeah, is the exactly, application. Yeah. So a lot of people are starting to say, okay, look, we can get quite a lot of control over this Pi because a lot of it's, first of all, uh, open hardware in the sense that you can get schematics for most of it, not all of it, but most of it. Um, and the actual process of booting up is quite impressive because it's not like this lockdown UEFI system on your laptop that needs to talk to a TPM chip and stuff like that. It's not a not like that at all. Basically, you've got the GPU that actually boots up first and runs a bootloader, and it looks on the SD card for a for a FAT file system, and then it just uh, starts booting from there. This is like a very simplified version. It just basically hands over to the FAT file system and says, okay, boot. And then it then loads up the Linux kernel and off it goes. But you could then replace that. You don't have to boot into a Linux kernel. You could write what's called a unikernel, uni which is quite an interesting concept, uh, an operating system as a library. So basically, you import this library and you compile um, a, a binary executable which goes into the boot sector and it boots into your application directly and you're running bare metal. And you can do this in Rust, you can do this in Go, you can do this in C++. Yeah, the bootloader is the only tricky piece, but other than that, you're in and away. Yeah, it's a very cool idea. But even just experimenting with like strange operating system ideas, I thought it was a great little tool because you could blow it up it's no problem. Like there's, you know, nothing broken. Just wipe the SD card. Try again. <laughs> That's exactly it. I mean, I've been uh, pushing to use this in schools. Uh, so I've been, I've been speaking to a school. Uh, they wanted to get tablets uh, into the classroom, and I just listed about. 10 or 15 different reasons why a Raspberry Pi with a screen and keyboard would be so much better. And one of them was if the student messes it up, like goes to the root directory and start type sudo rm minus rf forward slash. That's not a problem at all. You just take out the SD card, put another SD card in there, and boom, everything is back to running again. You know, and if you need, that's a pretty cool idea because then the students could have their own work on their SD cards and like kind of take it home if almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could either take the SD card or they could plug in a USB with their with their stuff on it. Yeah. So so each student could have their own operating system if they wanted to. I mean, no other computer gives you that sort of yeah. control. So now, what's this new Raspberry Pi? This like five dollar thing? Is that of any interest? Uh, not currently, just because. It it is I mean phenomenal. Basically, it's it's a full Raspberry Pi, but it's been stripped down to a very small um, form factor. So you still get HDMI, you still get USB, but you need you need some cables to to break it out, um, and you still get the full GPIO. Um, it is it's not as powerful as the Raspberry Pi 2, so it's based on the older chip. 
but uh, what's really cool about it is the whole thing is only $5. Now, the, the problem, the reason why it's not of that much interest just yet is, A, there's no stock of it. Like, as soon as they make it, it just goes out of stock. So I probably have to wait maybe two or three months before I, I you know, start looking around and seeing if I can get stock. There's a lot of websites that claim, oh, we, we've got it on pre-order and stuff like that. But really, you know... They're not going to be able to get it because uh, you can see from raspberrypi.org. They'll tell you exactly how many they're making, and and they're yeah, just getting it's, sold it's out. Just oversubscribed. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I still think the best thing is get a Raspberry Pi two and start playing with that because that will give you the ultimate flexibility, and you can do all sorts of great stuff with that. But once you've built an application with it, and you decide, okay, now I want to sort of put it into a small box with maybe a screen and a button or whatever it is, then you can say, okay, maybe this will run on a Pi uh, a Pi zero, and then you can get a Pi Zero when it's available and then you know run everything on there as well. That's so wickedly cool. So now for, for people here in Gauteng and Cape Town and South Africa, where can we get these things from? Uh, so there's a couple of places where us uh, House for Hackers sort of buy our stuff. Uh, I can mention them. So we don't have any affiliation with these with these companies, but this is typically where we buy stuff. Locally, there's um, RS components. So if you go to za.rs-online.com, that's... Um, uh, they're, I think, based in Kalami. I think they might have branches around and they deliver and so on. Um, Communica, so RS Online is the best place to get Raspberry Pis just because they're the official distributors. Um, then Communica, which is just down the road from me, is another place where you can get uh, Arduinos and uh, also like basically any, anything electronic. Uh, Micro Robotics is a good one. They're based in uh, Centurion. Uh, it's The website is robotics.org.za. Um, that's a good place to get uh, a lot of these little boards. Uh, Raspberry Pis as well, quite cheap there and so on. Um, in town, in Joburg town, there's one called uh, Mantec. Uh, so mantec.co.za. There's Netram, uh, which is actually where I bought my first uh, Arduino. Um, they also deliver. So I had mine delivered and it was very quick. Uh, and there's Hobbytronics, uh, which I think is based in PE, but they also deliver. They also got cool stuff. So, I mean, you, it's not just Arduinos and, and Pies. There's, there's stuff like quadrocopters and uh, robotic uh, little chassis that you can make robots out of just by sticking an Arduino or Pi on it and stuff like that. Then uh, I also tend to buy some stuff from like the local Chinese markets. So things like solar panels and controllers and stuff like that, batteries and so on. Um, so there's there's one in, in in Centurion as well that I generally go to. There's one in um, Boxburg somewhere as well. Um, but if, if all of these fail, then you can obviously import the stuff. Uh, we normally go to dealextreme.com and import from there. But these things take quite long. Sometimes they get lost in the post if you don't pay for um rearing it and stuff like that. Uh, one of the popular ones now is banggood.com, which is a really funny name. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's an odd name. Yeah, it's yeah. an odd name, and I would be like quite dubious about it, but like uh, a lot of the guys buy, buy stuff from them, and they're quite happy with that. Uh, and then, of course, the big guys, uh, Adafruit and SparkFun. That's where most of these boards come from. Anyway, they, they make lots of cool little boards that you can attach to your Pi or to your uh, Arduino and make it do cool stuff. So uh, instead of you sitting there and soldering and making a board, you can probably get something from Adafruit, like, for example, a display or uh, a keyboard or like even arcade joysticks if you want to make a... Um, you know, a handheld, like they, somebody even made a, a clone of the Game Boy using, so Adafruit have a lot of these sort of tutorials about how to do this and they even make their 3D printed cases and stuff available online. So Adafruit and SparkFun are, are really good, but uh, it might be a bit pricey importing it, especially with their exchange rate and so on. Cool, that's so awesome. I, did I see correctly on the House for Hack 
thing that you guys have like kind of intro courses or like getting to know your uh, your Pi and your Arduino? Is that did I read that correctly, or is that just something you tried? No, no, we do that. So we we do run regular courses. Um, there's a guy called Yaku. He runs uh, Arduino courses. In in fact, he's is busy putting together a course for using the Raspberry Pi with something called Node-RED. Um, I hadn't heard of it until recently. It's a Node.js-based like visual tool for wiring up your Internet of Things. So it, it seems like a nice non-programmer, non-techie way of building Internet of Things solutions uh, using Raspberry Pi. So so that's coming. Um, Philip Boyson from House for Hack, he's actually also going to run uh, Raspberry Pi courses, and he's even writing an ebook about uh, using the Raspberry Pi. And I'll tell you, this guy is ideal for this kind of stuff. He's, first of all, he's like he's like an uber hacker. Like the kind of stuff he makes, it just blows my mind. Like he could fill a room with all the stuff that he's built. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the amazing thing is that he's actually now built a business using the Raspberry Pi. And it's called Photo Live. You can probably go check it out. Um, I'm not sure what the website address is, but it's uh, Photo Live is this awesome uh, live photo event streaming to social media thing that he's built using uh, Raspberry Pi. Oh, that Pi. is so cool. Yeah. So, is, so do, you guys, do, you, do you guys have a, a, a mailing list or something that people can keep up to date with on these things? Yeah. So if you're interested, uh, the best way to get a course, like, uh, so we don't run courses that often. We uh, It tends to be based on demand. So if like 10 people come and say, can we have a course on how to do this? Then more than likely someone will say, yes, I'll, I'll do us a course, you know? So it's re- usually very demand-driven. Sometimes we'll uh, announce and say, hey, is anybody interested in a, uh, an Android course? I've done a couple of Android courses like that. Uh, we've even had like a Haskell course. We've had Python courses, Ruby course, uh, how to build your own 3D printer, how to build a weather station, how to build an energy monitor. These are the kind of courses we run. So they, it's, it's not just, oh, here's the ABCs of an Arduino. It's like we give you all of the kit and we, we sit with you and we build something like an energy monitor monitor or a weather station, stuff like that. So that's typically how we run the courses and it usually runs on a weekend. So they're usually announced on our mailing list. So if you go, to, it's a Google group. So if you go to groups.google.com forward slash group forward slash house for hack, uh, that's our mailing list. That's where we discuss this stuff. We also have a Telegram group um where we where we chat as well so if you come and visit us then we'll add you to the telegram group and we you know you can uh we can chat there as well but basically just come and ask us like uh, when's the next course and if uh, there's like at least two or three people asking that then they'll probably start uh, thinking about running a course as well um, and we do also announce it on the house for hack website so if you keep an eye on halfhack.co.za if there's a course coming up in two weeks time then we'll probably post it there as well wow toby mind blown Seriously, mind blown. You guys are doing some really cool stuff there. Sure. Well, thank you so much, man. I'm I'm just overwhelmed with the quantity of of stuff that you've given us. That's like, and and I'm placing my order for Raspberry Pi. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I, I would I would uh, quite uh, basically encourage everyone. Like, if you're even thinking about it, if you're sort of halfway interested in it, like all you need really is an interest and the willingness to learn to try, to read, to fail, and try again. And uh, so if you, if you, for example, decide, okay, let's, let's see what this Arduino thing is about. You, just, you can either buy a, a kit or an Arduino, say from Microrobotics or something, and then uh, you can tinker with it. And if you get stuck, just bring it to House for Hack and someone will get you up and running in no time. Uh, or you can just sort of pitch up at House for Hack and watch other people play with it and see, oh, wow, this is what I could do. Or I had something in mind. I wonder if an Arduino could work for this. You just come there and ask us and, you know, we'll probably be able to get you on your way. So, yeah, a lot of projects have started like that. I mean, 
Uh, that's basically what we're about. That is so awesome. Thank you so much. Jeez, I think you guys are going to be awesome. And, and I'm sure that you're going to get a lot of people coming from this podcast. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. I think let's, uh, let's call it a night there. Um, Kevin, Kenneth, you want to... You got anything to add? I think we can start getting to some picks. I agree. Um, sorry, I, I did actually just want to mention one more thing. Um, there are sure, other, go for it. There are other other maker spaces other than just Task for Hacks. So probably people who are listening might want to know if there's anything in Durban or Cape Town or wherever you know, like other hacker spaces. So I thought I'd just mention them. So we, we're big friends of uh, Binary Space, which is a hackerspace in uh, Van der Bell Park. There's a guy there who runs it, Tom Van der Bon. He's also like an uber hacker. Like He basically builds projects almost on a weekly basis, and, and all of them will blow your mind. So it's well worth, if you're in the area, go and check out um, Binary Space. So it's, I think it's binaryspace.co.za. Uh, there's Maker Labs in Randburg, which is sort of like a started off as a, as a chapter of House for Hack in Randburg. Um, they, they're a bit smaller, but they do. I believe they still meet up fairly regularly. Um, there's Makerspace in Durban, which is uh, run by Stephen Gray, I think, and um, that's a very cool place to meet up. Even if you're into like arts or crafts, or you know you're into bold stuff, um, Makerspace in Durban is a cool one. Then there's one called Cat O, uh, which stands for Kick-Ass Te- Technology, obviously, I believe, <laughs> uh, and they're based in Cape Town. Um, so that's well worth checking out as well. Thanks, man. That's a that's a great list. So. Cool. Big thing. Cool. Uh, shall I start that off? Um, so I played around a little bit with Arduino and Raspberry Pi together, sort of beginning of last year. Uh, one thing I really enjoyed playing around with was the Johnny Five library. If you if you want to write something with Node.js. Uh, so you could run Node.js on a Raspberry Pi and then use the USB to connect to an Arduino and control the Arduino from from Node. So you don't have to get your hands dirty with C if you don't want to. It's just a nice way of getting in, into that space. Um, the other thing was the Arduino starter kit, uh, which I got mine from RS Online. I don't know if there are if the other places also stock it, but it comes with a, a good collection of um, electronic components to start you off, you know, LEDs, photo sensors, things like that, photoresistors. Um, and it comes with the print copy of the Arduino projects book. You can get a PDF of it, but it's nice to have it in print next to you when you're building. Uh, it comes with a full kit with the breadboard and things that you can put your LEDs into and things like that. So yeah, getting started, that really helped for me. Then the other place where I've got a I've got a couple of Raspberry Pis lying around here at home that I use for different purposes, but uh, the one that I really enjoyed just as a quick bang for buck setup was um, I use a Raspberry Pi to run my internet connection here at home. So every packet of data for this uh, podcast is going through that. Me too. And <laughs> uh, so it is, it, it's a really nice hack to just get IP tables, IF top, being able to actually monitor who's using what on your internet connection. Uh, and it just has a PPPoE connection over to my ADSL router. So yeah, that, that, that's a nice starter project as well, just get just to get a decent internet gateway going. Um, 
generally I'm just unhappy with how most ADSL modems give you a UI and command lines are awesome. And the thing just runs headlessly and never dies. Uh, the other thing then, uh, again, well, I was using XPMC, but yeah, the uh, the version you mentioned earlier, what is it, OpenELEC? Cody. Oh, Cody. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I must actually give that a shot and to play around with that now. That's it from me. Cool, you must actually try and install um, transmission on your router, the Raspberry Pi, and then uh, you install an app on your on your phone, like, um, for example, transmission remote or something. And you can literally click on a, any torrent file. It'll automatically send it to your Raspberry Pi, and your Raspberry Pi will automatically download and be ready for you. Nice. <clears throat> Automation hacks. <laughs> okay, I'll go next. Um, so the first thing is that on Adafruit, there's a Learn Arduino series. So a few weeks ago, I got a Edison as like a loan or a gift. I guess until the smoke comes out, then I'll need to pay for it. <laughs> uh, but that thing's been <laughs> fantastically useful, that article for really like absolute absolute beginners like what is this thing what are leds what are resistors how do these things actually work a breadboard and all that stuff uh so that's been fantastic and then i guess in something unusual uh the lancero airport staff on our way back from the Bifusa, like an idiot i left a bag on the plane and they recovered it uh from underneath the seat and i got it at the lost and found minutes after we landed so kudos to those people that's me nice what airline was that no, no, not the airline, Lancero Airport. Oh, okay. Nice okay, one. let me go. Uh, so my graphics my, my are not based on what I talked about. Uh, as a programmer, I'm always looking for um, brain food, basically. Like when I get bored on a Friday afternoon, and I, first place I go to, and I actually tweeted about this recently, this is the only website on the internet that I actually read the comments, and often I read them first. And that's Hacker News. So if you don't know it yet, go check it out. It's news.ycombinator.com. Um, my spend about half my day there, man. <laughs> yeah, me too. Between Twitter and Hacker News, that's that's all my time gone. Um, my second pick is a um, an add-on for Firefox. So if you if you know me in person, you'll know this. I'm I'm a very privacy conscious person, so I hate tracking on the web and stuff like that. And I used to have a whole bunch of add-ons to stop all of the kind of information leaks, things like referrers and cookies and all sorts of things. But I found this new, um, relatively new add-on that's called U-Matrix. And it basically does the job of a whole bunch of add-ons that I used to have before. Um, it's definitely power user only, like um, I wouldn't recommend it to the general public. So I used to use NoScript, which basically breaks every website on the internet uh, until you start letting things that you think are okay through. And U-Matrix does a similar sort of thing, but it also spoofs your user agent. So it picks a random user agent every few minutes and spoofs your referrer. So they can't tell you, uh, they can't track you across the web and it blocks things like third-party images and also stuff that uh, even no script wouldn't do so that one add-on has sort of like gotten rid of all of the other add-ons so if there's one add-on that i can recommend for privacy and you're a power user it would be you matrix that's pretty cool man did you see did you see the guy's hack on how easy it was to enable like the inbuilt cameras in computers like remotely i've heard of that like the rat tools and stuff but i haven't actually seen the video that you're referring to so so one tip of the week is always cover those things up with insulation tape and also if you stay in hotel rooms like also just cover the the doors you know the peepholes in the doors because you know i get like a specialized camera that fits on the outside and can see the whole inside of the room it's kind of nuts 
And dude, if you, if you go to Airbnb places, uh, do a sweep for cameras, there's even an, a, a Python script that will do sort of a MAC address scan to see if those uh, specific devices are there because a lot of hosts are using like baby monitors and uh, surveillance cameras to spy on their guests. No way. Jeez. What a do- <laughs> it's getting dodgy, man. It's getting dodgy. <laughs> okay. Uh, my pick for the week is if you guys like to play chess, and uh, the source code for it's also very interesting is a, a new website up called LiChess, L-I-Chess.org. It's absolutely amazing. Scala backend and JavaScript frontend. Very, very slick. Very, very nice like chess experience. Uh, so that's my pick nice. for the week. Cool. I guess that wraps it up. Um, that would be episode 28 of ZA Dev Chats. Yeah, so just a... Looking back, uh, Kenny and I were out at Ruby Fusa last week. So thanks to everyone who came to say hello, to ping us uh, at the conference. It was really great, great meeting some of you guys there. Uh, we've still got the 8th of March. We've got the DevConf conference happening in Joburg. So check that, uh, check out the site in the episode 23 we did on that. Then, yeah, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate us. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. If you've got any content you want to bring up on the podcast, uh, you can contact us in the ZA Developers Slack or through our GitHub. Uh, the links will all be in the, in the show notes. And, yeah, once again, thanks for listening. That's, that's from ZA Dev Chat. Thanks. Thanks, Toby. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Toby. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers everyone.